Early voting starts right now. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state, live from the Texas Realtors Winter Meeting in Austin. I'm your humble host, Scott Braddock, editor at quorumreport.com, and fresh off the campaign trail is Jeremy Wallace at the Houston Chronicle and HoustonChronicle.com. Uh, you feeling up to it this morning, or are you oh, worn down? Well, the, the campaign season, we, we are in the froes of it. Yeah, this, right. is, this is what we live for, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. You're being generous with that. <laughs> um, you were, just the other day, on Thursday, in San Antonio, your hometown, uh, where uh, Governor Abbott and Beto O'Rourke were almost facing off directly. They had events that were pretty close together. Yeah, it was crazy, about 11 miles apart from each other, uh, almost exactly at the same time. And somehow I made it from one event to the next. Mm-hmm. You know, thankfully, you know, East Commerce still works, you know, You're like right. I expected in San Antonio. So I was able to, you know, cut through it all. Got to hear both of them mm-hmm. going back and forth in a battle over Bear County that just yeah. sounded like an encapsulation of what we're gonna hear for the next nine months. So. It's going to be a lot. You know, it's interesting to listen to the way these guys are framing up the issues and which issues each of them would like to focus on. They've got different priorities, of course. Let's start with the challenger. Beto O'Rourke is putting a focus on the electricity grid. He thinks that's a winning issue for the Democrats in Texas this year. This was from a campaign event in Tyler out in East Texas. Longview didn't lose power. El Paso didn't lose power. Neither of us are in ERCOT. Both of us are connected to the rest of the grid. So that when demand outstrips capacity, we can draw down electrons from the rest of the country. And this is important because we're an energy producing state. When we are producing more than we have demand for, we can sell it out onto the rest of the nation's market. The governor's answer on this has changed a lot. Originally, he had said he could guarantee that the lights would stay on. Then when we had an ice storm bearing down on Texas a couple of weeks ago, he said, well, nobody can actually guarantee that. And his answers lately, including at that campaign event Jeremy was at in San Antonio, was an eight minute answer from Abbott. It was very nuanced and very textured. And he certainly didn't say anything like the lights will stay on no matter what. Now, what Abbott would like to focus on when it comes to Beto is his stance on guns. And, you know, some folks had said, if Beto runs, then it's all about guns. Well, certainly the governor would like for it to be that way. And if you listen to the way that Beto's talking about it now, he's hedging his bets a little bit after previously saying that he wanted mandatory buyback programs for AR-15s and AK-47s. I'm not interested in taking anything from anyone. What I want to make sure that we do is defend the Second Amendment. I want to make sure that we protect our fellow Texans far better than we're doing right now, and that we listen to law enforcement, which Greg Abbott refused to do, turned his back on when he signed that permitless carry bill that endangers the lives of law enforcement in a state that has seen more cops and sheriff's deputies gunned down than in any other. Abbott's campaign was certainly watching that, and they wanted to remind everybody of what Beto said when he was running for president. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Sounds so scary, but it doesn't sound as scary to me, at least, when you hear it in its full context. And the context is super important here. As Jeremy has pointed out, Beto was in a presidential debate in Houston right after the mass shootings in his hometown of El Paso and also in Midland, Odessa. Remember, those happened pretty much right back to back. Beto was answering this question during a presidential debate. Now, I'll let you hear the question and the answer so you get the whole thing. You said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government 
all of them. You know the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns, and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield, if the high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, mm -hmm. and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. So when you hear it in full context, it doesn't sound quite the same as this. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Now, whether it's the grid or guns or whatever Beto's talking about, he does sound a lot more aggressive than he did when he ran against Senator Cruz in 2018. Jeremy, you asked him about that during the event in San Antonio. What's with this change of style? Or am, is it not a change of style? It, it's a lot of what we were just talking about. When, when I listened to families who lost somebody because the governor was looking out for his campaign donors instead of the people of this state um, and, and has failed to apologize to them, has jacked their utility bills, and hasn't fixed the problems that killed their parents, their kids, um, their, their spouses. Um, I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to make sure that every person in Texas understands why this happened. It doesn't just happen. Uh, as a matter of course, it, it's not an act of God. This, this wasn't Mother Nature. This was Greg Abbott. And um, we know that in Texas, the buck stops at the governor's desk. And so whether it's the fact that we lead the country in childhood hospitalizations for COVID because he wouldn't allow principals and teachers to protect the kids in those classrooms, whether it's the 700 dead or the $235 billion in economic damage to the state of Texas, or the utility bills that are going through the roof for people at a time of rising inflation. There's one man who bears responsibility for that. I'm going to make sure every single person in Texas knows that because when we do, then we're going to be empowered to make the change that we need so that this never happens again. Yeah, so we can all look forward to this aggressive style of campaigning for about nine months now. It's going to be almost a year of this as we get to the general election. But first, we've got to get through the primary. And Governor Abbott has a very clear strategy for this GOP primary. Let's go Trump. Let's go Trump. Let's go Trump. Let's go Trump. Now the problem is that even though he's all about Trump, a lot of the Trump supporters are not all about him. This was Governor Abbott being introduced to come out on the stage at the Trump rally in Montgomery County. He's got fans, but certainly not everybody who's there is thrilled with the governor. Please welcome the governor of the great state of Texas, Greg Abbott. Trump loves the great state of Texas. We hate you! Donald J. Trump! Donald J. Trump! Our President Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump! President Trump! President Trump! Another thing about President Trump! President 
Trump, President Trump, President Trump, President Trump, and President Trump, President Trump. Let's go, Trump. And if that wasn't enough Trump for you in his campaign ads, Abbott wants to make sure you didn't miss all the Trump love. What a great partner you've been for four years, and we worked together. I endorsed you last week very Thank strongly. I say complete and total. Gave him a complete and total endorsement. And I guess a lot of people that were thinking about running, they say, we're never going to beat this guy. <laughs> and they shouldn't be able to beat you. You've done a great job, and it's an honor to be with you. With all this national messaging, it doesn't really sound like Abbott is running against Don Huffines or Alan West or the entertainer, Chad Prather, I'm using entertainer loosely, or even Beto most of the time. No, it sounds like Abbott is running against President Biden. Joe Biden does not care that fentanyl is invading our states. Joe Biden doesn't care about victims of human trafficking. If he cared, he would step up and do something about it. Well, Texas is stepping up to do the federal government's job. For more on this border crisis, there's only one place we can find the little governor, Dan Patrick, and that, of course, would be on Fox News Channel. Patrick was on Fox because, of course, he was talking to one of their hosts named Lawrence, and he was telling him about changing some things in the Texas Senate. I mean, Patrick can even get Fox News Channel nationally to cover committee assignments in the Texas Senate. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Patrick said he wants to put a greater focus on border security. Number one, it's something I've been working on for some time. But last week, I decided to move forward to honor uh, two people in this state who were killed because of Joe Biden's open border policy. That's Charles Galloway, a constable who was killed by someone that came to the country illegally. Yeah. He was killed. The funeral is tomorrow. Last Friday, Lawrence, I was in El Paso at the funeral of one of our state troopers who was killed in an accident after apprehending illegal immigrants crossing the border. Two men killed Lawrence because of Joe Biden's border policies, open border policies. And a lot of people say, Lawrence, that he may be not as sharp as he used to be. I'll let people judge that for themselves, but apparently he doesn't have a heart either. So the president is a dim bulb and he doesn't care about what's happening on the border. He doesn't have a heart. If it's all about empathy, you would think that you'd have to consider the concerns of troops who are actually there stationed on the border on the orders of Governor Abbott. Well, some of those troops say they don't even know why they're there. There's nothing productive we're really doing here. We are not apprehending anybody here. That voice has been altered to protect the identity of the soldier here. Some of these troops talked to KXAN television here in Austin about the living conditions that they're having to deal with on the border. They're not getting the support they need, and they're away from their families and their actual jobs. I want to know why it's such a hassle to get basic gear down here, payment, adequate housing. If you listen to this, no matter what any of us think of it, it starts to sound like the debates you have in this country over actual wars. You know, big questions like, should the troops even be there? Are they getting the support that they need? And when do they get to come home? So this has left Abbott open to attack from both his left, from folks like Beto O'Rourke, as well as his right, uh, especially uh, by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who of course is challenging him uh, in the primary, who has highlighted this over and over again, that the troops don't have the things that they need down there. All right, how about the race for attorney general? I mean, Ken Paxton, the indicted AG, is all in on the Trump endorsement. This commercial is playing all the time right now in places like Houston and Dallas-Fort Worth. An attorney general who has really led the way, somebody who has been brave and strong, Ken Paxton. 
my complete and total endorsement. Ken Paxton is America's most conservative attorney general. When Joe Biden stopped deporting illegal immigrants, Ken Paxton took him to court and won, and a federal judge ordered deportations to continue. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, defending the Constitution, protecting our freedom. His opponents are taking different approaches. Congressman Louis Gohmert is going right at Paxton for his personal legal troubles, and there are a lot of them. As a judge, I applied the law equally, no political favors. Sadly, Ken Paxton has been indicted for fraud, is being investigated for bribery, and the Democrats are licking their chops. Look, he deserves his day in court, but Texans shouldn't be punished for his actions. I'm Louis Gohmert. As your attorney general, I'll restore the rule of law, and trust me, I'll be the woke mob's worst nightmare. He says he's going to be the woke mob's worst nightmare. And Jeremy, you were saying that not only is Gomert going after Paxton on his legal issues, but he's also highlighting the fact that Gomert is also someone who is really liked by President Trump, even if he doesn't have the official endorsement. What was interesting about it, the first part of that is actually the clips of, you know, Donald Trump talking about how great Louis Gohmert has been yeah. to him over the years. Because, you know, it's not just that one event, you know, at the rally in Montgomery. He likes but it. But he, d- yeah. he says it every, every time he's in Texas. When he was in Houston, he brought up Louis Gohmert. When he was in Dallas, you know, he brought up Louis Gohmert. He clearly likes this guy. And Gohmert took all those clips and put it into an <laughs> ad that sounds like Trump is endorsing him. Mm-hmm. And then you'll hear the Paxton ad and you go, okay, which one is it? Right. <laughs> the one we know is not getting an endorsement is George P. Bush, right? No. We know for sure he does not have the endorsement. He does not have the endorsement. Uh, it was my understanding that, uh, that George P. Bush met with President Trump, former President Trump, twice last year. The first time was to ask for the endorsement. That was before the endorsement had been made. Um, and this was right around the time of the kickoff of P., uh, George P. Bush's campaign, where he was handing out koozies to people. You may have seen the koozie. Uh, that on one side said George P. Bush for Attorney General with the Texas flag, which is just, you know, standard stuff. And then on the other side, and this is before an endorsement's been made, it had an image of President Trump with George P. Bush at an event, and the quote underneath the two of them was, this is the Bush that got it right. This is the Bush that likes me, so I like him. This was being passed out by George P. Bush's campaign to his supporters, basically a, a piece of campaign merchandise throwing the entire Bush dynasty under the bus and saying, they suck, and I'm the one that President Trump likes. Then Trump endorses Paxton. Then there was another meeting that I was told about where uh, George P. Bush went to meet with Trump because the question from Jeb, exclamation point, Jeb Bush, his father, was how involved does the Bush quote-unquote machine need to get involved with this, raising money? And think about the fact that, and what kind of numbers has uh, George P. Bush put up? He's put up several million dollars for the race, right? But his father, think about this, was able to put $100 million together for a race where contributions are capped, Yep. right? So so you would think P. would have that same sort of network that he could put a, a a more robust war chest together. Didn't happen, so they had this event or excuse me, they had this meeting with uh, George P. and uh, President Trump. It was my understanding that he asked uh, the former president how involved he was going to get in the race because they wanna, the Bush folks want to know, you know, what, what do we need to do here to step up? Are you going to be campaigning for Paxton? Are you going to be cutting more ads for him? Things like that. And Trump didn't really answer the question. He just said, look, I like you, but no one else in the whole country, no other attorney general would file that lawsuit for me to try to overturn the election. 
So I'm with Ken. So that was the answer that he got. Well, and, and just rationality would tell you that you know, Ken Paxton was at the January 6th rally mm -hmm. with Donald Trump before the attack on the Capitol. Yep. It's like Trump clearly is you know, with Paxton, you know, going back to that. And so to, to think that George, you know, George P. was going to pick that endorsement up over Ken Paxton makes you kind of wonder what the thinking is there. Yeah. And, and, and it reminds me, when I was down at that Montgomery County rally, uh, outside the event, a lot of the other candidates who aren't in the favor of Donald Trump will be on the fringes, like right. with booths up or you know, waving signs. There was a group, uh, a couple of George P. Bush you know, supporters with mm -hmm. a table that was, were trying to get you know, people's attention and come over. And I heard the most foul language. <laughs> As yeah. people would go past that booth, people confused at which George Bush that was. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, you stabbed you know, President Trump in the back. Oh, no, no, that wasn't right. our guy. That was somebody Not else. Not him. You know, like, yeah. And so and, I just kept hearing, no, that's not us. That's not us. Right. <laughs> and, and just a reminder, real friends stab you in the front. <laughs> you got it. Um, Eva Guzman also running. We haven't yep. mentioned her yet. Uh, I think it's in uh, interesting that she's got uh, the, you know, the support of uh, big business groups like uh, Texans for Lawsuit Reform. It's my understanding um, that her campaign is relying on uh, a lot of very sophisticated micro-targeting um, campaign uh, strategies, uh, which, you know, as that becomes more affordable for campaigns all over the place, and, you know, we've had, you know, a version of micro-targeting, you know, for a long time now, um, but as it becomes more affordable for campaigns that maybe don't have as much money um, as some others, you know, we're not talking presidential level numbers right here as far as how much they can spend, but more and more, and this is where you, and I'm just gonna set the expectation for perhaps a surprise with who might be in a runoff, as that micro-targeting is more uh, uh, affordable, more and more these campaigns to the voter who's being you know, uh, contacted directly, to the voter the campaign looks completely different from how it looks to us in Austin, or you when you're having your PAC meetings and things like that, um, you know they're seeing all these messages on their Facebook and their Twitter and their text messages and other messaging apps as well, all sorts of things like that that can really shift it up. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, th that may be almost the better way to attract a campaign like this. Anyhow, the big TV ads are splashing, you'll know, remember those, of course. But because the turnout is going, like, we're going to be lucky to get over 10% turnout, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, which is really terribly low. We have, like, right. one of the worst turnouts in the nation. And so to get to find the voters, you have to go mine for those voters. <clears throat> That's what that micro-targeting does. It yeah. makes you find the people who you know have voted in primaries in the past, and you are nearly 100% sure certain they'll be going there versus a TV or radio ad that's going out to you know millions of people who will never be able to vote for you or you won't care to vote so in the race for governor in the race for attorney general and the race for Texas Agriculture Commissioner I'm going to tie them all together by saying this each of the incumbents has uh, some vulnerabilities that should be uh, able to be exploited by challengers right I mean think about Governor Abbott as we said earlier he had people who two and three years ago would have been standing shoulder to shoulder with him, basically in agreement on everything, thinking that he's fantastic, now attacking him. Yeah. You know, COVID response and other things that folks were upset about. Um, with Paxton, he has every personal legal problem you could possibly have. Um, you have, he does, um, you have uh, Sid Miller. You have Sid Miller. You have Sid Miller who uh, his own political consultant uh, indicted uh, on charges of, and you can't make this stuff up, but it's Texas politics. Um, he was indicted in connection with shaking down farmers for hemp licenses at the Texas Department of Agriculture for tens of thousands of dollars. 
I like to think all this stuff is nuanced and all the things we talked about mattered, but maybe they don't. I think the Texas primary is the best test in the whole country of the strength of that Trump endorsement and whether Trump is really just the only thing that matters in these primaries, right? With all those vulnerabilities those guys have, if all three of them get through the primary on March 1st with no runoff, then that tells you how golden that is to the GOP right now. If, and if one of them gets into a runoff, there could be a variety of reasons for that. But if none of them do, I think that's just the seal of approval. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. It's like, you know, I know people want to, like, assume, you know, who's going to win these primaries and Mm -hmm. who's going to be in a runoff. But everything you just said, there's a lot of, like, a lot of stuff out there. (laughs) And and, and we don't know what the electorate looks like. We don't know who's really going to be coming out to vote. The turnout should be incredibly low. So brace yourself for surprises. You know, the one thing, you know, as a journalist, you know, we have to kind of fight our way out of just assuming, oh, the guy with all the money and all the ads is going to win. I always like to remind people that it wasn't too long ago that, you know, the, the New York Times had Joe Crowley, a veteran congressman, running in a primary and gave very little attention to it and then this woman this bartender from the Bronx beats him that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez right you know beats him flat you know and the the New York Times was playing catch up from there on trying to tell oh this is who you just elected by the way (laughs) but every newspaper has a story of that there's always you know primaries are crazy they're wild west anything can happen in these things so if you tell me that Abbott doesn't get over 50 percent it's a possibility. Sure. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I think because, and we, you know, we think about it in terms of, and, and y'all do what it means for your business, and you should. Um, we think about it at the Capitol in terms of what our elections mean for speaker politics and, you know, for certain policies that are going to be passed in Texas and all of that. Um, but I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the Texas Republican primary, until proven otherwise, it's the election of consequence in Texas. Democrats continue to try to, you know, how many times, you mentioned New York Times, Washington Post, how many times do we have to read the same story every two and four years? Will Texas turn blue? It's not. Um, well, no, if that happens, we'll cover it. I'll be excited to cover it because I like competitive elections. But until then, it's the GOP primary, right? And it's not hyperbole to say that it is the most, because 30 million people live directly with the consequences of it, it is the most important election on earth that almost no one pays attention to. Yeah, well, and especially with the redistricting, it proves yep. your point even more so. Mm-hmm. After redistricting, the seats are even more safe, you know, for right. primary, for, for mm-hmm. Democrats or Republicans in either of their primaries. But that makes the race for both of them, you know, there are House districts that will be decided in the Democratic primary and, you know, in the Republican primary as well. But, like, the general election will be mm-hmm. such an afterthought. So this is, like, where you really have a chance to kind of have an influence and beating the dead horse, yet we'll only have 10% or yeah, less right. show up for this election. You know, compare that to, like, there are other states where you will get 30% mm-hmm. of the people voting in the primaries. Here, we can't get above 10%. It's right. like it's such a war. I am going to take a great professional risk right now because I want to say that, and I, th- I think this should be obvious, but you'll get it. This show is a nearly perfect storytelling experience. And that's because I decide what we're talking about. (laughs) But now I'm going to let you do that. Do we have a microphone for folks in the crowd? Uh, Realtors are so plugged in that with this crowd, I'm willing to take the professional risk of letting you decide what we talk about for a moment. So questions, comments. This is not a shy group. They're right over here. Microphones over here. No one. 
Here we go. Yes, sir. And I'm sorry you have to talk to that mask, but here we go. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot of attack ads um, in um, mail from the um, band in Texas. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that, where it's coming from, who they're targeted to. And... Well, I know that this crowd has heard of Empower Texans. It's basically the same people. Um, th so there is a new PAC, as you mentioned, uh, Defend Texas Liberty PAC. Uh, and we made note of this at quorumreport.com just the other day. You can get that if you need to. <laughs> we, um, I'm sure it's more important than this. Um, uh, you have the same funders. It's the billionaires from Midland. It's, uh, it's Tim Dunn, the Wilkes brothers in Cisco, Texas, uh, who have a certain vision for state government. Um, and they are broadly attacking Republican incumbents right now, uh, attacking them uh, this past week uh, for power sharing with Democrats in the Texas House, because of course we still have uh, Democratic chairman. Um, and <laughs> there's things to like about this and things to not like about it. Uh, Michael Quinn Sullivan, who I know you are familiar with, is not calling the shots as much anymore about direct expenditures in these campaigns. It doesn't seem so. Uh, he would be the guy deciding which uh, mail pieces went to which districts around the state uh, in previous cycles. But now, it's former Representative Jonathan Sticklin doing a lot of that, attacking of his former colleagues uh, and saying that they are insufficiently conservative. You know, I think um, with this campaign that's going on uh, here in the Texas House races right here at the end, it's like you pointed out, voting's been going on for a while. To move the needle in these races, um, I think when you send out a mail piece to thir almost 30 districts, almost uh, you know, a few days before uh, early voting is going to start, you're not going to beat all those people, obviously. These are the first big attacks that they've seen in, in some of their campaigns. Uh, but some of them have multiple challengers uh, and could be pushed into runoffs by this. And I do think even this weekend, uh, there are more mail pieces about other things that are going into a smaller group of districts within that 25 or so, uh, where that Defend Texas Liberty PAC, Tim Dunn and that crew are trying to get uh, Republicans to, uh, uh, to be pushed into some runoffs and maybe lose their seats. And it, this is really about speaker politics. It's the same thing that we saw uh, when Joe Strauss was there, when Dennis Bonin was there, although Dennis had his flame out and played into it. Um, and, uh, and now that Speaker Phelan is there, uh, you have this, uh, this sort of uh, questioning of the way the Texas House does business, once again in an attempt to try to move uh, the state's government even further to the right, which is kind of hard to imagine. Yeah, look how look what that results in. If you don't knock those people out, it creates even more animosity, animosity among the Republicans who are targeted, right? And mm -hmm. so it just makes the gap between you know that empowered Texans and the Republicans who survive those attacks. It makes that animosity even more intense going forward. So it's one of those risks. Like if you're going to come at an incumbent, yeah. uh, you better take them out, right. or they are going to just make you enemy of the state. Yep. Uh, I think we have time for one more question or comment. Can I mention Eva Guzman? Where does she fit into the attorney general? Yes, ma'am, we did. Uh, my, um, although you're you're right, it was easy to miss. Uh, so, there's so there's so much going on uh, with with Guzman. I think that she has good business support. Uh, I think she's running a smart campaign. Um, as I mentioned, I think they're doing some very sophisticated micro-targeting in that campaign. And I wouldn't be, if, if there's a runoff with the attorney general, I wouldn't be surprised if she's in it. 
Yeah, and she and she's got some TV ads out yeah. there, so she has some financial support that shows that she's. I see her more on TV than I see you know Gomer or Bush at this point. I think they've gone the the talk radio route, and I think she's going to for a wider audience, which could really be. You know, remember in, in Texas, you don't have to pick a primary. Right. You, know, you, you don't have to be a registered Democrat or registered want. Republican. Right. There is no such thing in Texas, so anybody can go vote. And I think you know Guzman has the ability to pull in a lot more people to vote for her even who aren't Republicans necessarily. Thank you for that question. Uh, yes, ma'am, you, you'll actually be the last one, so knock it out of the park. Okay, thank you. Um, so you talked about how the Republican election, or primary election of consequence. Yes, ma'am. Um, how many swing seats are there? In the Texas legislature? Um, one, two, maybe. It's, <laughs> it, there's there's a new one in uh, in Collin County. Uh, the Democrats think that they can they can win there, and I'm trying to think where any of the others were. You know, it's interesting uh, in this redistricting cycle, in, and this is this speaks to uh, just how rapidly changing our state is. Uh, the strategy that was employed by the Republican leadership was not as it had been in the past to try to maximize how many Republican seats there were. Yep. What they were trying to do was create as many durable seats as possible for Republicans, right? Which meant they didn't really change the numbers that much of how many Republicans will be there. Of course, the numbers they're working with, Jeremy, this is interesting and will be a test of what the voting strength of those Republicans is, is they were going off of Trump numbers, which yep. is, that's a moving target. Uh, are those really, Republicans, I mean, I think, you know, one question that, that I think also helps to answer what you're talking about is how many swing voters there actually are in Texas, which I think there actually are a lot, but it depends on how, how our elections line up. And I'll give you the example. In 2018, a half million people voted for Beto O'Rourke and then for Greg Abbott, right? Now, they can't do that again. <laughs> they got to pick one <laughs> this time around. Um, but you also had uh, President Biden when, uh, he, you know, when he was running in 2020, Trump beat him in Texas by six points. And then if you look at how Republicans did down ballot from the presidential, they were winning all over the place, right? For the legislature, for Congress, for local offices, et cetera. And so you start to see this force of moderate voters, of people who I think are open to voting for Republicans, just not Donald Trump. And then on the other side, you have so many people voting in the Republican primary who would only support you if you're with Trump all the way. That makes it very difficult for folks to navigate this. Well, and I think the congressional redistricting kind of shows the issue that happened during the redistricting, right? The Republicans, you know, you know, Tom DeLay would have been rolling over, you know, like watching what they're right. doing. It's like, no, please don't, don't make you know, this happen. What they did is they actually supported the Democrats. They helped the Democrats who had you know, taken some of those seats. You think yeah. of Lizzie Fletcher in Houston and mm -hmm. Colin Allred in Dallas, they were number they were enemy number one for the Republicans right. in that last cycle, right? So what did they do in this redistricting? They made their seats stronger. Why would they do such a thing, right? right. They were so worried about mm -hmm. boosting their numbers in their current districts rather than trying to knock out other Democrats. And I think that happened also in the Texas House and the Texas Senate, where it was just like, just make everybody, you know, come back as is. You know, it's like yeah. let's not knock out Lizzie Fletcher's and you know Colin Allred's anymore. Right. All right. Is that enough show? That's enough I am, show. I am showed out. Thanks to Trey and Brandon and Jamie, everybody with Texas Realtors. Thank you all so much. If, if, uh, if you enjoy this show, and you know you did. I can see your faces. Um, you should be a subscriber on, well, not you and, okay. 
<laughs> you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. Give us the best rating that you can. Five stars. If it's four, I get a call from the managers. It's no good. Um, subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we'll see you when we talk to you through your cell phone, I think, on the next edition of the Texas Take. Thank you.